In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. We encounter John's Gospel this morning, and if you're part of the liturgical churches, the liturgical churches in the United States, Episcopal Church, Presbyterian Church, Methodist Church, Roman Catholic Church, and so on, all of us are reading the same gospel, and we read it. We read the same gospel every Sunday after Easter. And the Sunday, which and the gospel that we read is this one, from the, the end of John's gospel, when we encounter Thomas, whom we call Doubting Thomas, and we tell the story of Jesus appearing to the disciples and then appearing to Thomas again. So we get the story over and over. So we call him Doubting Thomas, Doubting Thomas. But I think we're harsh on him. Uh, if you want to know the truth, I think all of us participate in his life in one way or another. Now, John wrote this gospel because uh, by the time that he writes the gospel, all those who were the eyewitnesses of the resurrection were either dying or had died. Everybody, by the time that this gospel is written, it's about the year 80, 85 AD. So a, a child who was uh, six years old on the day of the resurrection, by the time that this gets, gospel gets written, that child would be about 85 or 86. So they're all dying off. And it's almost like the Christian community, the early Christian community said, you know, we're losing all the eyewitnesses. We're losing all the people who were there. They can't tell us a story about having been there. So maybe, maybe, just maybe, we should start writing some of this stuff down. Maybe we should start writing some of these stories down because the people who are going to follow us are not going to be the eyewitnesses. And they need to have stories, stories to remind them of what has happened, stories to uh, confirm the experience for them, not to inform them or anything, but to confirm the experience, to remind them of the experience. So John's gospel is written for those people in 85 AD or whenever it was so that they too could rise to faith. It's written for you and for me. We aren't the eyewitnesses of the resurrection. We weren't there 2,000 years ago. And these stories are put in the gospel so that you and I can be informed, so you and I can be reminded of the experience, so that you and I can also rise to faith, so that we can keep the faith. That's how the story ends at the very end of it. He says, you know, I've told, there are a lot of stories, John writes, he said, I, I, there are a lot of stories I could have written down. We didn't write all those down, but I've written enough of them so that you can believe that Jesus is the Messiah. In about a month, I'm going to go down to Rome, Georgia, where I went to high school, Barry Academy in Rome, Georgia. I'm going to be going down to Rome for uh, my 50th class reunion. So while preparing for my 50th class reunion, I've been having some conversations with some of my classmates from 50 years ago. And we've been going back and forth and telling some war stories, kind of anticipating the weekend and so on and so forth. And a lot of them are about the sports we played, about the people with whom we competed, about this or that, some of the professors, etc. And one of them that came up not too long ago reminded me of a story I think I've told you before. And that story is about the, uh, the religion teacher, Mr. Geraldson, who was a real Bible thumper. I want to tell you, we were in the Bible belt and he was a Bible thumper. So every, we had to go to chapel every day. Uh, during the, every week that we had chapel, and then on Sunday we also had chapel, and he was a real Bible thumper, and he was a real evangelical, and he wanted to get all of us to be Christian believers. He wanted all of us to convert to the faith. He wanted all of us at some point or another to make the, the, the assertion that we were followers of the Christ. And every once in a while, every once in a while, he would bring a real hardcore evangelist to the chapel services. And I remember one in particular, we were talking about this, one of my classmates, David Dillinger, and we were talking about him, and he was one of those guys, remember this is the 1960s, and he's gathered there, and uh, do you all remember Brill Cream? Some of you are old enough to remember Brill Cream. Brill Cream, a little dab will do ya. 
And if you didn't use Brill Cream, you used Vitalis. And what you did was you slicked your hair back like this with Brill Cream, and you made a little pompadour kind of thing over uh, in the middle of your head. And uh, remember this guy as if it were yesterday. And he was standing there, and he would lean over the pulpit, and he would tell story and story and story, and he would be asking us, you got to come forward. Are you going to come forward? Are you going to dedicate your life to Christ? And boy, his voice would just get hoarse and hoarse. And by the very end of it, a lot of us were sitting there. Now remember this, trying to convince high school students to dedicate their life to Christ. That's a tough task. <laughs> so we're gathered there, and he goes on, won't you come forward? Won't you come forward? And he would lean over that pulpit and would say, won't you come forward? Won't you come forward? Now, I thought the guy was going to die if I didn't come forward. He was so hoarse by the end of it. So a bunch of us went ahead and said, number one, to get him to stop preaching. And, <laughs> and then number two, we came forward, you know, because we thought it was his life that depended on it. Much later on, I realized it's my life that depended on it. Won't you come forward? That's what that Bible thumper was inviting us to consider, to rise to faith. Three weeks or so ago, I had the opportunity to be up in the Diocese of Maryland with the clergy of the Diocese of Maryland. They were having a workshop on preaching in political situations. And because we are St. John's Church, they figured that uh, I should be over there to speak with a couple of the other people. And one of the folks who was there reminded me of one of the professors that I had, Murray Newman. Murray Newman was a professor at Virginia Theological Seminary. And Murray Newman talked about Rudolf Bultmann, who was a theologian of the mid-20th uh, century. And the whole task of Rudolf Bultmann was to demythologize the Bible. He wrote a, a, a book entitled The Theology of the New Testament. And the book of the Theology of the New Testament was all about demythologizing the, the biblical narratives. And what he wanted to do was to get all the smart people at Union Theological Seminary, all those urban people in New York City, to rise to faith. So what his whole work was to prove to them that all those stories that in the Bible could be understood, that reason could deal with them, that the intellect could grasp it, and he worked and worked, and everything was about demythologizing all of those stories over which we had a difficult time. And what I remember Murray Newman was telling us was that he would stand up in that pulpit at Union Theological Seminary, and he would lean over the pulpit, Murray would tell us. He would lean over the pulpit, and we'd say, you know, I'm writing all these things. I'm writing all these things so that you, the students at Union Theological Seminary, can rise to faith, so that you can have faith. I'm doing all of this work so that you can be a believer. So you can come forward. John's gospel, that's what the gospeler is doing to you and to me today. He's saying, I'm telling you all these stories. I could have written a whole bunch of other stories, but I'm telling you all these stories so that you, the listener in the 21st century, can rise to faith. So that you too can be a follower of Christ. Now, the person whom they choose to, uh, uh, to base the story on is and the one we call Doubting Thomas, who's also called the twin. There are two things here. When I was a freshman in college or a sophomore in college, I read a, in the, a religion class that I took, uh, uh, read a book by Paul Tillich entitled The, Dyna the Dyna Dynamics of Faith. It's a wonderful little book, not very big. But one of the things that I remember from that book, The Dynamics of Faith, was that Paul Tillich would say, write to all of us and say to all of us that doubt is an element of faith. That doubt is an essential component of faith. And I've always found that very satisfying. And I've always found that to be very helpful. Remember, doubt has to have an element, uh, faith has to have an element of doubt. 
If there is no doubt, if you have proof, you need no faith. If you have proof of the existence of God, there you don't need any faith. You got it. And then you're stuck. But if you have doubt, you can grow. If you can doubt, you can wrestle with the issue. If you have doubt, you know that you can rise to faith in spite of doubt. And I always love that book. I always love that book. I have to tell you, when I was in seminary, uh, some of my classmates would, would have the experience of Christ right there in the middle of the class. And I always felt like Thomas, that I was missing. I said, you had that experience? I didn't feel it. They would have all these experiences, and I thought to myself, well, doubt it, uh, Thomas is my friend. Because I was missing it, just like Thomas was missing it. He must have gone out for groceries or something. But he missed the first experience of it. And it's also a reminder of this. God has no grandchildren. God only has children. Which means that everybody has to have the experience of the resurrected Christ to rise to faith. Think about it in this gospel. Mary has the experience in John's gospel, the first one to experience a resurrected Christ. And so she turns to the disciples and tells them about it. But the disciples don't get it. Then Jesus has to appear to the disciples and they have the experience of the resurrected Christ and they get it. But Thomas, who wasn't there, doesn't get it until the resurrected Christ appears to Tom and then Tom gets it, or Thomas gets it. Everybody has to have that experience of a resurrected Christ. It can't be passed on. You can't pass it to your children. You can't pass it to anybody else. It's a personal experience. It's not a private experience, but it is a personal experience. And everyone has to, re to sense it and feel it to be able to rise to faith. What's important about Thomas is he's called Doubting Thomas, but there's a twin. Now, the twin never gets mentioned in the Gospel of John. My suspicion is that maybe it's a metaphor for all of us. There's part of us that doesn't believe, and there's a part of us that wants to believe. There's a part of us that's trapped with, uh, in doubt, and there's a part of us that wants to rise to faith. And it all depends on where you are and where you want to be. And Thomas is the first one in John's gospel who says, my Lord and my God. And he's the one that rises to faith, as, being, as well as being the one that doubts. I think Thomas is in our presence today. I think the gospeler John is speaking to all of us, inviting all of us, just like that Bible thumper in high school would do it. Won't you come forward? Won't you come forward? To all of us, he's saying, won't you come forward? Rudolf Bultmann, who demythologized the biblical narratives, would say, I'm doing all of this so that you can believe, so that you can come forward. And the gospel of John is saying, I've told you all these stories. I've told you all these stories to remind you, not to inform you, to remind you of what has happened so that you, too, can rise to faith so that you can be a believer that Jesus is the Messiah. And all three of them are here today inviting all of, us, all of us and asking all of us, won't you come forward? Won't you come forward? Won't you come forward and rise to faith? Just like our good friend, Thomas, whom we have always called the doubter. Amen.